0: changing the world of work isn't about tactics it's not about meetings or metrics it isn't about the benefits perks or opportunities it's about being brave enough to put love first everything rises and falls on leadership so as leaders we're the ones who have to make it happen this is the love in action podcast and here's your host marcel schwantes
1: Welcome Love & Action Nation and the world to episode 30. You know, we're spending a lot of money on leadership training these days to the tune of $46 billion a year. But is it working? Well, a recent Gallup survey showed that 82% of employees find their leaders, quote, uninspiring. So why the gap? Can I have a moment of truth here? It's because most leadership development focuses on outward skills like strategy, management, and finance, but there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we even teach those things in our MBA programs. That's what we're being fed. But new research shows that leadership should start inward with your mind. There's a new book out that's based on extensive research, including assessments of more than 35,000 leaders. And I'm excited about it. It's called The Mind of a Leader, How to Lead Yourself, Your People, and Your Organization for Extraordinary Results. And it's authored by Rasmus Hugart and Jacqueline Carter. And they reveal how leaders can disrupt how they lead by training their brains. And I'm excited to have one of the co-authors, Jacqueline Carter, join us on the show today to share some of the ways we as leaders can do that jacqueline is the international partner and the north american director for potential project she has over 20 years of experience working with organizations around the globe to improve performance her clients include cisco accenture marriott and google to name a few jacqueline is a sought-after speaker and she's appeared on numerous tv and radio talk shows and she's a regular contributor to major publications, including Harvard Business Review. Jacqueline, it's a treat to have you. I can't wait to dig into this book. So welcome to the Love and Action podcast.
0: Well, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. And thank you for all the work that you do around Love and Action. It's very close to my heart. So I'm just really appreciative for this opportunity to chat.
1: I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We always start with a gratitude moment. What makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days?
0: Ah, there are so many things that make me smile. So it's hard to pick just one. But I certainly every day I look for signs of hope. And I think it's very easy in our world today to be depressed about whatever it might be that we might be depressed about, because I think that there's a lot of things that are we're inundated with that are negative And for me, what I love to be able to see is the stories and experiences of hope where people show kindness to each other, where leaders, you know, take a moment to really check in with their people and and really ask, how are you doing and stay around for the answer and really want to find out. And there are so many Of those moments that I see on a regular basis. And I think in my work, it's I feel so privileged to be able to support leaders and to be able to be more of the best kind of leader that they want to be. And every day I wake up and what gives me hope is to be able to know that they're receptive and interested and maybe listening to this podcast. And that's what gets me up in the morning and makes me feel like this is going to be a great day. I'm going to do my best.
1: Mm, mm. We are so aligned in that respect, getting up in the morning to, to, to do the same things. And it's, I mean, that's why it, the book speaks so much to me. It, it's about, for me at least, the work that I do is shifting mindsets around how we engage our employees, how we come to work. And uh, well, so before I dive into the book, though, let's get a little familiar with your work. Could you mention your work? So uh, when I, I frame it like this, we have to shout out to uh, Simon Sinek. What is your Why?
0: Well, the why is already what you talked about in our work. So Potential Project, a global organization, we've been around for over a decade and had the privilege of working with many of the companies that you mentioned. And what we found, especially over the last five years, is that the leaders that we worked with were increasingly overwhelmed, overworked, good people, wonderful people. But there wasn't enough hours in the day, so they weren't getting enough sleep. The research actually shows the less sleep your leader gets, the more likely you're not engaged. So Just over and over, we were seeing what we actually started to term a leadership crisis. Mm. Our why was really to try to understand what was going on with leaders today. And, And really what we found was that it's tough to be a leader today and it's not getting any easier. And so we really wanted to peel that back, not just from our own observation and our own work with our clients, but really come at it from a research and a science perspective. And what we found, and again, I think we'll get into this more in detail, but just to give you the highlights of it, is that basically we found three major things. The first thing is the workforce has dramatically changed. It used to be that people were happy to get a job. I remember many years ago when <laughs> I started in my career, and I felt privileged to be able to, I was with Deloitte Consulting, I felt privileged to be able to have this amazing job and this amazing opportunity. And not that people aren't happy to have a job, but people are looking for more than that. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for something called happiness. I mean, Mm. as a leader, how do I create happiness for my people? I'm working on creating happiness for myself. Right. And that has dramatically changed because the war on talent, talent has won. Top talent can work for any organization in the world from their living room. So now this idea of being able to create this con- these conditions where people feel connected, it's a, it's a big ask for leaders, and most leaders are ill-equipped to be able to do that. So that's the first thing, is the context has changed in terms of the expectations of the workforce. And by the way, you know, you could say, oh, that's those millennials that are also expe- you know, have these expectations. But in our view, we all want to feel like we're contributing. We, yeah. we all want to feel like a great sense of purpose. The second thing that we found, and this is what you mentioned, is that leadership is not an outer game, it's an inner game. And so it has to start with understanding your mind, managing your mind, leading your own mind, so then you can lead your people and lead your organization. And thirdly, what we found was that there are three core qualities that are essential for leadership in the 21st century, and that's about mindfulness, selflessness, and compassion. Again, happy to talk more about those. But as I said, I mean, that was really our why, was to try to uncover the challenges for leaders today and find out what it's going to take to help all of us be able to realize more of our potential as leaders.
1: Uh, Jacqueline, you know, this is a calling that could extend 20, 30 years from now for you. And I'm so happy that you're doing this. So let's talk a little bit. You know, most of us leaders get up in the morning uh, already worried about, Things like deadlines and meeting customer expectations and stakeholders' expectations, etc. We don't say, oh, i got to figure out how my mind is working this morning or today. So why is understanding how the mind works so crucial for leaders to drive performance and drive results?
0: Well, I would say actually, and that's the the, the pivot that I would take, if there's one takeaway that people could have, it's exactly as you said, you should wake up in the morning and say, how is my mind today? That would be my (laughs) strong recommendation. Because if your mind is cluttered, if you're overwhelmed, if you're still exhausted, if you're stressed, I guarantee you, you are not going to be able to best meet those demands. You are going to spend time and activity as opposed to productivity. If you have an important conversation with one of your direct reports, it's probably not going to go well. Hmm. So the pivot that I would encourage people to do, and this is, again, what we talk a lot about in the book, is first thing in the morning we know actually our cortisol spikes. It's actually when we're most stressed because we've been defenseless all night and our body wakes yeah. up and goes, ah, what's happening? Yeah. And so it's actually the most important time to say, okay, as opposed to checking our phone, which too many of us do, is actually to do some some mind training practices which help us to be able to settle the mind, have some more clarity of mind, make sure that we're feeling calm, make sure that we're feeling clear minded. And, and that's the best way to be able to start the day and to be able to ask yourself, how am I doing today? What is my mindset? What is my mind state as you talk about? And if I'm going to set then an intention, how do I want to show up today? And that's actually one of the things that we find is that If you don't set an intention, then your day will just happen. But if you really set an intention, you know, maybe I didn't get as much sleep as I'd like to, maybe I do have a really pressing deadline. But if I set an intention that I really want to be at my best today, I want to be of service to my organization, be of service to my people, it's certainly better than not starting the day with setting an intention and jumping right into busyness.
1: So, okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate, but I can almost hear some listeners going, you know what, this is just metaphysical mumble-jumble, soft, crazy, fuzzy stuff that I don't have time for.
0: Yes. I have a
1: business to take care of. Yeah. How do you address that kind of skeptic?
0: Absolutely, with science. I mean, the science is absolutely conclusive. It's actually really amazing. We know now, because of neuroplasticity, basically, that we can rewire, we can actually change the way that our brain looks and functions. And so the invitation, I mean, if you think it's mumble jumbo my invitation to those skeptics out there is to say, how do you want to start your day? Do you want to start your, your day stressed and overwhelmed and feeling Wah, like you've got so much to do and you don't have enough time? Or do you want to start your day with focus, with a mm-hmm. sense of calm, with a sense of clarity. And then if you can't answer that question, you know, go and ask your employees. If you're the leader, what kind of leader do they want to work with? Option A or option B? And my guess is they will probably pick option B because, and that's what we found in our research, that the science actually shows that you can train your brain to be able to be more calm, more focused, more clear-minded. And that if you can do that, and again, it's not about being perfect, but if you can do that, You can actually realize more of your own values and intentions around what you want to show up as a leader, but you also have a greater impact on your people.
1: So I think the first step for me is, is first having belief. Correct. And out of that belief comes choice. Correct. And intentionality to then, like you said, want to shift your mind from getting up stressed and, oh, I got to, you know, worry, 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 and, and take space to be mindful. Is that the right track?
0: It is the right track. And I think one of the things that I really want to share with people is that Mm -hmm. I think too many of us, we see all of our colleagues are stressed. We see everybody running around busy. Busyness is the new norm. And so we kind of think, well, I'm busy. I'm overwhelmed. Maybe that's just what it means to be a leader. And what we have seen and we have evidence and it's in the book, but it's also, I think, my appeal to people is get off this train. you know, we don't all have to be busy. Busyness is not productivity. Busyness is not healthy. It's not healthy for our bodies. There's so much research that shows that it doesn't, you know, stress. Some a little bit of stress is good, but a lot of stress actually is negative for anything that you can possibly imagine that you have. Too much stress makes it worse. And yet we all have this idea that, well, that's just the way work is today. You know, we don't have a choice. And for all of us as leaders, we do have a choice. We have a choice for ourselves. And we certainly have a choice for what kind of organization and culture we want to create for our people. And that's, I think, the belief aspect is believe that this is actually not healthy for us. And we can have an inflection point where we say, you know what, if we bring more centeredness, more calm, more clarity to not only myself, but also our culture, I think we could really, you know, kick ass in the market. So that's my message to people about that.
1: I'm so positively stoked about this because now we have even more evidence. I'm dumbfounded that the three foundational qualities, which is kind of the framework for the book, mindfulness, selflessness, compassion. And I've been preaching this stuff for years now, especially the, the last two. And now we have even more evidence to support that people need to start from this base of these qualities that we need to employ in the workplace. We need to start with our minds Uh, shifting to these three things. So let's unpack these because some of these we need to define better. So we'll start with mindfulness. Um, How would you define it in your own words?
0: The simplest way, and there's lots of different definitions of mindfulness, the simplest way that we look at it is basically to be here now. We know that we have lots of things going on in the world and our pressures and demands But mindfulness is basically the ability to be able to show up in this moment, to be able to be focused on the task at hand, aware of what's going on around us, and it's about making that critical choice that you talked about earlier. I can choose to be distracted by all of the pressures I'm facing, or I can choose to be here now. Simple. That's the definition.
1: So why is that so important for leaders today?
0: Well, exactly. It is so important, I think, not only for leaders, but of course, for all of us, because again, and the research bears this out, but it also just makes intuitive sense, is well, one thing I should actually just back up from a scientific perspective. One Mm -hmm. of the other reasons why this is so important is because we know that our mind has a natural ability to wander. And this is actually one of the things that I think is really important about mindfulness is, I'm not saying that, you know, it's, it's not easy to be focused and present all the time. We know that from a neurological perspective, our brains do have a natural tendency to wander. And in fact, the research suggests that actually 47% of the time, our mind is wandering. And they actually, the quote that they say is that from an evolutionary perspective, it was an advantage to human beings to have a wandering mind. If you think about it, the guy or the gal that could sit and focus on the fire they are not our distant relatives. They got eaten, right? Like they, our relatives <laughs> had wandering minds. They were distracted. They were the ones that were like, oh, you know, there's a rustle in the bushes over there. I think we got to move. Or look, that could be a wheel. I mean, those were our ancestors. And so our mind's natural ability to wander is actually, its it, it can be a good thing for creativity. But you put a wandering mind in our distracted, always on, high pressure, very complex environment and you have trouble. So getting back to your question about why is this important for leaders is what the research actually shows is over the last decade our ability to pay attention is getting less and less and less. Mm-hmm. And simple things like oftentimes when we talk to leaders they'll come up to me and say you know Jacqueline I used to be able to sit and read a book and now i find my attention just wanders like i'm i'm engaged in the book but then i'm looking for the hyperlink and and so this is actually critical for us because we know attention matters in business You know, no matter how much time you have, no matter how much skills, if you can't pay attention to the task at hand, you are not going to be able to get it done well. And similarly, as a leader, if you can't pay attention to your people, you're not going to be able to engage them, be able to understand them, be able to lead them well. So it all comes back to attention matters in business today. And mindfulness training helps us manage our wandering mind, which it naturally has a tendency to do, but helps us to be able to basically train the attentional muscles so that we can be more focused, more effective.
1: I love it. I love it. Okay, so I, I had to ask this Yeah. because people are wondering how to actually practice it, like especially in the morning, right? We wake up stressed. So that would be an imp- a really good time to do it. What's a good technique? Is there like a breathing thing or how do you practice it? So that we can get practical here.
0: Absolutely. So the way that we introduce it, and as you mentioned, I mean, we've worked with many, many, many global organizations. Mm -hmm. And what we do is it's first of all, we base the training on science. So I just Mm -hmm. want to say that before I tell you the method. It's backed by science and has been shown to actually change. It's a neurological intervention, rewiring your brain to be more focused, more calm, more clear minded. Well, we keep it simple because if we gave you something complicated, that would be cruel. You, people have enough complexity in their lives. So we make it as simple as A, B, C, D. And should I walk you? Do you want me to walk you through Absolutely. A, a Absolutely. Right. I'm
1: taking notes right now.
0: All right. Well, actually, well, why don't we do a little practice together? And, okay. and so <laughs> basically, what we'll start with is the A is for anatomy. And what I'll invite you to do, and again, hopefully people watching the podcast can join in, is just to take a moment to notice your anatomy. Are you carrying any unnecessary tension in your body? Exactly. And so just invite a sense what we know is that all of us carry too much unnecessary tension. So it's just an opportunity to be able to release and relax. And then the next step, the B is for the breath. If we want to train our attentional muscle, we do need an object to focus on. So we know whether we're focused or we're distracted. So what I'll invite you to do is to just, and if you want, you can close your eyes or just have a downward gaze so that you don't feel conscientious about it. But just to simply turn your attention by choice to the simple experience of breathing. And just observe the breath. And the key thing about this is we're observing the breath. We are not trying to control it in any way. So it's not a breathing exercise. It's an attentional training exercise. We're training our mind to be on the breath, and the C is now for counting. To help us keep track, what we'll do is we'll breathe in, we'll breathe out, count one. Breathe in, breathe out, count two. And in this method, what we do is we count all the way up to 10. And when we get to 10, it gets really exciting. We count backwards, 10, nine, eight, back to one. And just continuing in cycles. And the D in this method is for distractions. And the invitation here is that the distractions are actually our friends. When we find that we get distracted by a thought, by a sound, by a sensation, we celebrate that moment of mindfulness. Because when we're aware that we're distracted, that's when we can make that choice. We flex our attentional muscle, come back to the breath, and simply start counting from one again. And when you're ready, releasing the practice and returning your attention to each other.
1: Okay, so here's what happened. I was able to actually hear my my own breath for the first time in I don't know how long.
0: Nice. Wonderful.
1: Like I could hear myself breathe. That's amazing. Yeah. And then I started to pick up the noise that I'm in a little studio here that it's in a basement. It's very quiet. Yeah. And I picked up all of the uh, buzzing noises from the, you know, electrical stuff on the, in the walls. And that was all of a sudden deafening to me. It was like, wow. Uh, right. You know, and then the, the distractions, that wasn't really the distraction It's just that I picked that up, exactly. um, you know, in my hearing for, for, for the first time. And, but the distraction was releasing myself from, Oh, wait a minute. I am in a, podcast recording episode and I I need to focus on my next question or what am I going to ask Jacqueline next I'm telling you I lost myself completely and I wasn't even worried about I forgot that I was in a actual recording (laughs) conversation (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, and I think, you know, and that's it is, you know, it's again, the the idea of the method is simple. It's not necessarily easy, but it's simple to do. And the idea is to just be able to have that moment to let go of all of all of the worries, the next question that you're going to ask, the next thing on your, you know, to-do list, to just be able to be present and then tuning into your environment. And what you shared was amazing. And that's really the experience. There's two things that you achieve with mindfulness and this simple practice is one is the ability to, can I be focused on on an object of my choice? So in the training, it's the breath, but it's actually really, you know, you apply it then, can I be focused on the agenda or the people in the room? You know, so you apply the same training, then you apply it to be able to be practical from a workplace perspective. But the other thing that this training does is it enhances our awareness. We start to be aware of, you know, the, the sounds around us And in a practical sense, as a leader, we also tune in to, wow, you know, one of my team is actually not having a good day. Wow, if I had been too busy and too caught up, I may not have noticed that. Or maybe there's a really awesome idea that, you know, if again, if I'd been too busy, too cluttered, I wouldn't have been able to tap into that opportunity for creativity. So that's simple training, but extremely powerful.
1: That's fantastic. And I also realized that some of my muscles that were tense, Exactly. I started to relax to the point where I'm like, I was slouching because right. I was so relaxed. So okay. for the skeptic again, yeah. that's listening and going, okay, Marcel and Jacqueline are, are leading us in an exercise of holding hands and singing Kumbaya. Yeah. Yeah. You have stories about how this has improved corporate cultures in okay. some of the biggest companies that I mentioned in my introduction. Can you yeah. share one?
0: I'll give you a really simple ROI on mindfulness training. Yes. so simple. And my invitation again for those skeptics would be, how effective are most of the meetings in your organization? And most people would say, not that effective. And the number one reason why meetings are not as effective as they could be is because people, their minds are wandering. People aren't paying attention. And one of the organizations that we worked with, they implemented, and we have basically ways, so our focus is not just on the ABCD, because that's good, but it's not enough. Our focus is looking at ways to be able to apply these to daily work activities. So look at, you know, what would a mindful meeting look like? And this organization, just by applying more mindfulness to their meetings in very simple ways, they were able to decrease their meeting time by 35%.
1: Okay, so I bite. What would a mindfulness meeting look like then?
0: Yeah, so it's a couple of things. Number one, it's basically making sure that there's clarity around the agenda, because if we're not clear on the objectives or why we're here, we're not going to be able to be focused. And so one of the rules we have is that, you know, and this has actually been amazing for a number of leaders that we work with, is that if they don't know what the purpose of a meeting is 24 hours in advance, they should cancel it, because they're going to waste time. I mean, unless the meeting is, you know, hey, we're here to just explore something or update, but then that's the objective, right? So, Keep, be precious about your time. If there hasn't been a clearly defined objective for this meeting, you're not going to be well prepared and nobody else is either. Waste of time. So that's a mindful meeting step one. Step two is when you arrive, give everybody the opportunity to check in. So take one moment and you don't have to call it mindfulness. But basically, one moment, we know people are back-to-back, running from emails to meetings to this to that. Give everybody one moment to be able to settle their minds, to be able to really, we know that they physically showed up, but allow them to mentally show up. And it's an incredible gift. And it's amazing to us, people that are even skeptical about mindfulness or have no interest in A, B, C, D, but you give them one minute to just be present and arrive. And it's like, wow, that was the best minute of my day. So that's Mm -hmm. step number two. And then step number three is to be able to, during the meeting, the invitation of a mindful meeting is to be able to manage your mind and be able to manage when you're focused and when you're distracted. And the idea is, and again, one of the other things, it's simple, no technology. So ideally, and again, a lot of meetings like ours are using devices, but put away other devices, turn them off, put them away to be able to enhance our ability to focus, but just minimize the distractions. And that way we can actually be more effective, be more efficient. uh, We can actually be more present with each other. And like I said, actually reduce our meeting time and enhance our quality. I'm also happy to share another story, which was very impactful for an individual leader. Would that be a value to you? Absolutely. And and again, to be able to speak to those skeptics. So there was a leader that we worked with, a senior guy, very smart. He was a partner within a financial services organization. And what he experienced, and and again, you can see if you can relate for those people listening, is that he would consistently get negative 360 reviews. And it was really frustrating for him because he had risen up the ranks. He was very smart, very successful in other ways, everything except for engaging his people. And he was a finance guy, very meticulous, so he kept a spreadsheet of how much time he spent with every individual. So he would actually, you know, let's say, you know, okay, today I spent, you know, 30 minutes with Bob. Bob better not say anything bad about me because, you know, and he would track this very meticulously, didn't have any benefit. He actually started, and again, A, B, C, D, 10 minutes a day, and you could do it just five days a week, not seven days a week, because it is around helping you to be more effective at work. And in addition to that, as I said, what we, our specialization is not just A, B, C, D, but how to apply it to daily work. So how to apply it not just to meetings, as I shared earlier, but to being more creative, to being more goal-focused, to being having greater priorities, to being more present with your people. So through a series of actually, it was just 10 weeks of working with him, what he found is that all of a sudden, after years of trying all different kinds of strategies, it was this mindfulness training that actually really, truly helped him. And his insight was specifically that what he realized is all this time he was spending with his people, he thought he was listening to them. What he was really listening to was the thoughts in his own mind, which were things like, I know the answer to that question, or gosh, when is that person going to stop talking because I got something else I got to do? And he's not a bad person. We all have that experience, but because he was able to be more aware, he actually was able to quiet the voice in his own mind to be able to be more present with people. And what he found, and this is actually such a great little exercise for anybody to try, is that when we quiet the noise in our own mind and be more present with people, they actually feel it. Mm -hmm. And they actually tend to speak less. And that's really what he found is that after just 10 weeks, he actually noticed on his spreadsheet that he was spending less time with people, but he was getting much better reviews. And so for him, it was just such a tangible evidence for the value of when we're present with people, when we're more calm, when we're more clear-minded. They feel like we're there, and it actually enhances our ability to be able to be more effective.
1: Mm. I wanted to back up to the meaning, but maybe this is applicable to just any time during the day is what do you do with your devices to be more mindful?
0: Yes, exactly. These uh, these devices that we all love are we call them weapons of mass distraction. And they should be seen that way, because although they're amazing, I mean, I can't imagine uh, life without my smartphone. But just be really clear. You think you're smarter than your smartphone and you are not. These devices are designed to distract us. They're actually, if you go on social media, which many of us do, we know that these social media giants without being critical, but they do have neuroscientists basically designing these tools to be able to maintain our attention because the more clicks that they get, the more time that we spend, are the way that they'd be able to to make money. And so we really need to be really mindful about how we engage with our technology and ideally make sure that it's working for us as opposed to limiting our ability to be present with people and limiting our ability to get things done. And so a couple of simple tips is turn off all notifications. Just turn them off. Decide when you want to check your mail or check your messages as opposed to it always being calling for your attention When you're in meetings, put those phones and devices away. The research actually shows 100% that even the mere presence of a smartphone during a conversation, even if it's not beeping, buzzing, or vibrating, negatively impacts our ability to feel connected with each other. And in addition to that, just to be able you know, and other, other things, you know, have times when you completely restrict access to them. So, you know, when you need to get good sleep, don't sleep with your phone. Not a good idea. But also other things like, do you really need all of those apps? A lot of them are just a distraction fest. Do you need breaking news? Uh, lots of ways to be able to better manage your mind to be able to get the best of your technology without it getting the best of you.
1: Hmm. Okay. Let's talk about the second foundational quality that you're, you found in the research. And this one I'm just geeked up about because I write and speak off and on, and that's selflessness. Yes. Now, in the right context, though, because, you know, I'm a parent and I know that my six-year-old child needs attention and he's got needs and I have to be selfless in providing him with his needs, right? So from a business standpoint, though, And from a leadership standpoint, what are we talking about here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So to give a definition of selflessness, it's basically to not allow our own natural egoistic tendencies get in the way of us being good leaders. And to unpack that just a little bit more, when I say natural egoistic tendencies... We naturally have a self-referential perspective. We naturally see the world from our point of view, from an I, me, my realm, basically. And the key thing about selflessness is, I mean, you can just say, like, right now, are we both having the same experience of this podcast? Yeah. Well, are we? Are you sure?
1: From a what's in it for me and what's in it for you sense?
0: Well, or even just how we're perceiving it, right? Because the reality of what's happening right now, I have a perception, you uh-huh. have a perception. So what's actually happening right now is really based on our own individual perspectives, not necessarily a collective perspective. Now, of course, we can, we can share, we can say, okay, are we both having a good time? Is this working for both of us? And then we can come to understand that we're having a collective perspective. But if I just assume that my perspective is true, I am in trouble, And that's really getting into what we mean by not letting our own natural egoistic tendencies get in the way. Because if I think, "Hey, you know, I'm a great leader," and the research actually you already shared with it backs us up," many people will say, mm. "No, actually not so much." And so the key thing again, is that it's hard, though, because we naturally have a self-referential view. So selflessness is first of all, to make sure we break free of that, to be more curious. What's your experience right now? How are you doing? What's going on for you? So that's step number one. Step number two is what we know from a research perspective, and this is actually scary, but it's backed by research, is that we know that as we rise up in the ranks of leadership, our ego naturally grows. That's just Mm. that. And it makes sense, right? Like you can think about, you know, that first promotion that you got, maybe got a desk just a little bit closer to the window and You walked in that next day and you felt pretty good. And you should feel pretty good. You worked hard for it. But if you start to think you're better than everybody else, you are in trouble. The research says that as we rise up, we naturally start to think we're more important. We are smarter, whatever it takes. And what the research actually shows is as that happens, we naturally exhibit more rude selfish, unkind, all the way to unethical behavior. So one of the things that we say is, you know, leadership promotions should have a warning label on them, warning, this could make you a jerk. I mean, that's backed by science. That's just, and so the idea of selflessness, it's not about, you know, your six-year-old and making sure that you're, you're taking best care and you're doing what you need to do. But it's recognizing that taking an other orientation is actually really strategic for us as leaders. It's not easy. So you shouldn't just assume that you're naturally going to do it. And actually to be able to be intentional about focusing on your people and their needs and how you can best be
1: of service. So it's unconditional.
0: Well, I would say that it's not necessarily unconditional. It's more about intentional. It's about because... You know, there may be times when you have to make tough choices, of course, you know, like it's not about serving whatever your people want, obviously, but it's about making sure that you take the opportunity to not let your own view of the world, your own egoistic perspective rule the day. And so the foundation of it is to really bring more humility into your leadership and more gratitude, which again, I know speaks to you very well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's basically because, again, if I think that I'm successful because I'm so smart and so great, that's one, that's crap. I mean, I am successful because I've had so many people that have helped me in so many ways and so many people in my organization that are enabling me to be able to do this podcast right now. And to be able to take advantage of an opportunity to be able to be humble about my success and grateful to all the people that support me is not only good for leadership, but it's actually healthy from a neurological perspective because it brings us into a place of being able to create more connections, create better engagement, to be able to, to create better, healthier cultures.
1: Okay. Okay. And the third one is compassion. And yes. yet uh, so many people actually confuse compassion with empathy, but it's different. How would you define compassion and why, and why is it so important for leaders?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So empathy is actually a challenge for leaders. And so many leaders have been told you need to be more empathetic. And of course, language is difficult. So let's look at definitions. Empathy is actually triggered with feeling with somebody. So let's say I walk into your office and you're having a really bad day. You've got like so much pressure, so much demands. Empathy is a way for me to be able to say, wow, like I've I've been there. I can feel that. That sucks." Now, if I only feel empathy, what could happen is I basically sit down beside you and go, Yeah, this job sucks, right? And that's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for the organization. So, and that's actually activated. Empathy is actually activated in a certain part of our brain. And we know that people don't have that activation are actually psychopaths. So, it's a very important thing to be able to empathize with other human beings. Hmm. But compassion is actually the intention to be of benefit to others. So I walk into your office, I see that you're struggling, and a compassionate approach, for a moment I'd be able to, you know, be able to connect and say, wow, that's challenging. But compassion is activated by a different part of our brain where we say, how can I be of best service? And there's a couple things when you're in that space of compassion. One of the things I could be, you know, what Marcel? I think that you just probably need to figure this out on your own. And the most compassionate thing I could do is actually walk away and let you figure it out because you're smart. You'll be able to be able to determine the best path forward. Or I could sit down and say, hey, maybe we need to walk, look at realigning your priorities. So a compassionate approach, what happens with empathy is oftentimes empathy people can get sucked in. They can have empathetic burnout. They can get exhausted themselves. And they can also, one of the things we know is that we empathize with people that are more like us. So are more likely to have not be able to see things from a diverse perspective, which we know is so critical in our environments today. So again, compassion enables us to be a little bit more objective, to be able to connect with people, but really that intention to be of benefit, which is much bigger than just an empathetic approach.
1: Would you say that compassion, then, if you can extend it to this point, is to remove the boulder from someone's shoulder and alleviate their suffering? Because I've heard that a lot in uh, Buddhist uh, spiritual beliefs and even the CEO of LinkedIn. Yes himself uh, espouses through, you know, uh, compassion in that way. Is that accurate?
0: That's exactly it. And the reality is, so it's, it's we know that, you know, life is challenging. Work is challenging. It's not, you know, most of our jobs now are very complex. And the idea is to be able to, for compassion, a compassionate approach is really to be able to look at ways to make life a little bit easier. And we know that there's a lot of things in workplaces today that create unnecessary pressure, unnecessary stress. And if we can, as leaders, help to alleviate some of that unnecessary stress and pressure, that's gold, right? To be able to help us to be able to, to create kinder and more effective workplaces.
1: Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I believe that gets in the way of compassion and gets in the way of uh, you being selfless is fear. Correct. And I think that fear, while it's a great motivator in the short term, yes. um, It doesn't work and it's not sustainable. Why do you think fear is still so prevalent in how businesses are managed today when the evidence is so clear that things like care and compassion leads to high performance?
0: I love that question, and uh, fear is basically a natural neurological response to feeling threatened in our environment. So to try to tell people, oh, you know, you shouldn't have fear, is like saying, you know, you shouldn't have a heart. I mean, it's just like you are naturally going to be able to, naturally going to respond to threats in your environment from a fear-based perspective. And that's actually fear, what we look at getting back to selflessness, Fear is what drives the ego in negative ways. Basically, anything that you look at in terms of whether, and it's not just, you know, when we talk about, you know, being able to manage your ego at work, it's not all about being arrogant. I mean, fear is actually what drives us from an egoistic perspective to be afraid of failure, to be Mm. afraid of being found out that I'm not as good a leader as I thought I was. And so the idea is to be able to combat fear is not just to say, oh, well, you shouldn't feel that way because it's natural. But to really be able to question the fear that you're experiencing, challenge yourself, and also to, especially as a leader, to create conditions where, hey, you know, maybe we're all struggling. Maybe if we were to look for ways to be able to better connect with other human beings. And that's what we know is fear drives us to be on our own and individualistic. It drives our ego to have a very small eye and very threatened eye. Compassion actually is a way for us to be able to create connections, to be able to support each other, to be vulnerable. And that actually enables us to actually reduce our fear. So, without trying to force our way to overcome fear, compassion actually opens our hearts, which naturally enables us to feel more caring, more kindness, more ability to connect. And that's the best way to overcome fear.
1: Mm, And I would say that that's one of the ways that you actually show love in action. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So I want to bring it home with two questions. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like our listeners to know?
0: Hmm, That's a wonderful question. And what I would say is that fundamentally in our work, we still see too many leaders that are experiencing too much stress, too much overwhelm, and not taking care of themselves fundamentally, not getting enough sleep not eating as healthy as they could not doing all the things that we know are good for ourselves and my strong message and my passion and my my appeal I would say is what's tugging on my heart is put your own oxygen mask on first as much as I just talked about how compassion and having an other focus and all of that is true and very important but if you're not taking good care of yourself you can't take good care of other people so Do that thing that you always keep saying you want to do, get better sleep or get some exercise. What we actually found, and just to be a motivator for this, we actually found that the most successful leaders in our research actually have figured out to be disciplined about taking care of themselves. And that's what enabled them to be at the C-suite level because the people that didn't take care of themselves burnt out and didn't make it to those top chairs.
1: Mm -hmm. And finally, you end this recording your way with one takeaway. What is that one thing you would like our listeners to walk away with today?
0: Well, I would hope that it might be that you would be inspired to try a little bit of mindfulness training. Like I said, 10 minutes a day. If 10 minutes is too much, try five. If five minutes is too much, try two. But a little bit of training the mind to be able to wake up and start your day with a little more focus and clarity and calm. I think it's a great way for all of us to be able to then be more present with each other, a little bit less focused on ourselves, and potentially create more space for kindness, compassion, and ultimately love.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like this conversation has been sort of an out-of-body experience where I literally... Became present even in the middle of a recorded session. And that was, that was really unique. (laughs) So, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Jacqueline. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
0: they can go to our website. So www.potentialproject.com or they can reach out to me directly. I love hearing either this from the skeptics or from people that are passionate about this. So my email is Jacqueline.carter at potentialproject.com and would love to be able to hear from people. And I just want to just thank you so much. This has just been such a wonderful conversation, but I just love the work that you do and the messages are so much aligned with what we believe. So just thank you so much for the time.
1: I'm humbled by that, and I'm honored by that as well. The book is called The Mind of the Leader, How to Lead Yourself, Your People, and Your Organization for Extraordinary Results, and it's been an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you. So here's what's on my mind as I look back at that conversation. Jacqueline and her co-author, Rasmus Hugart, so they found these three mental qualities that are essential to becoming effective leaders, right? You gotta be mindful, that's being present and attentive to your people's needs. You gotta be selfless, and you gotta model cultures based on growing and learning instead of ego. And the third one is you gotta be compassionate. So you have to show your people that you have their back mindful, selfless, compassionate. And these three qualities of love would put into action leads to remarkable results. Like, for example, Marriott earning engagement scores above 80%. You know what the global corporate average is, folks? 13%. And then this. The best leaders in Jacqueline's research, they take care of themselves first before they take care of others or the business. So my question to you is this. Are you doing enough to take care of yourself first so that others can depend on you so that the business can depend on you. Thanks for joining us, Love in Action Nation. Please do us a favor. If you like this episode, write us a review on Apple Podcast. We would love a good rating as well. See, we depend greatly on your comments and positive ratings to get the Love in Action message across the world. Next week, I sit down and chat with Brian Paradis, author of Lead with Imagination. On behalf of Jacqueline Carter and my production team, we'll see you next time. And hey, 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 don't forget, Love in Action, it's what will truly set your leadership apart. Give it a try. Hey, Love in Action Nation, if you're enjoying the format of the show and the topics we talk about and you want to bring this conversation to your company event or conference? I would love to explore the possibilities, whether it's speaking or moderating a live discussion or a Q&A panel, or even producing a series of podcasts before and after your event. Let's talk. You can reach me by email personally at Marcel at loveinaction.club. That's Marcel, M A R C E L at loveinaction.club.